lost in menstruation. Welcome to Lost in Menstruation, a podcast for women who want to find a better way to hormonal health. I'm your host, Gemma Barry, an ex-nurse, period activist, comedian and herbalist. You might think that's a strange combination, but I wouldn't be where I am without those skills, let me tell you. Be ready for health tips and banter, no filter talking, belly laughs, and most importantly, finding your map so you aren't lost in menstruation. This is the stuff you wish you'd known years ago, but it's never too late. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Lost in Menstruation. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by the wonderful Callie Beaton. She's a comedian, writer, speaker, and business mentor, and has appeared on QI, BBC, Radio 6 Music. Uh, She writes for The Guardian, and I was lucky enough to see her amazing Edinburgh Fringe uh, show, Invisible. It was amazing. Callie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gemma. It's really nice to be here. Well, to be virtually here, because obviously we're not actually together, but we are together in spirit. (laughs) Yeah, in the best way possible in these weird and wonderful times. (laughs) Indeed, United by Gynecology, which I think uh, that could be the name of my my autobiography. So yes, it's lovely to be here. (laughs) That would be a great name. Um, So uh, I usually ask all my guests how they kind of got started in comedy. Uh, What was the story for you? This is a, are you ready to strap in for a clunking great name drop, Gemma? So that yeah, people will be like, blimey, Callie's such a name dropping <laughs> asshole before we even get started on the subject of menstruation and menopause. But yes, yeah, so I um, I worked uh, most of my career in television. So yeah. for years and years I worked and I, a lot of that time uh, was in comedy. So I worked for quite a few different comedy production companies. And then I worked for Viacom who own, among other things, they own Comedy Central. Yeah. And so for years and years, um, I, I worked with them for, years ago when South Park first launched so that is going back sort of more than two decades and then I worked for them again uh, for the last 10 years before I came a full-time stand-up and through that work I met lots of sort of amazing on-screen talent I was a very boring business person but I would meet sort of glamorous people because I was trying to make money out of their shows for them and one of the people I met was Joan Rivers the late great Joan Rivers and um, yeah who who was you know she was one of the reasons I knew women could be funny you know she was a proper hero of mine Um, it may amaze you to know Gemma that some of our younger listeners won't know who she is but they can google her but most people will know who she is and um and so and she saw me on I introduced her a couple of times at client events you know just kept the sort of drunk tv executives happy until she came on stage so she saw me speak a few times uh, and she uh, we had dinner um not long before she died and she said you should do stand-up and at the time I was 47 um I was a single mum of two kids and I had a board level job in television and I just said it's too late um I wasn't I was 45 did I just say 47 I was 45 and she said Kelly I'm 81 uh you know you, you're gonna look back at being 45 and think you know why didn't I do that so um so really it was that and that's kind of interesting for us as as women of a certain age yeah. to realize it's really easy to think at a certain life phase that we're old or to have some uh to accept what people might say about women at any given life phase and it's really telling I think that it was a woman in her ninth decade who told me in my fifth decade that um that it was perfectly reasonable to become a stand-up and now that I'm 51 
I think, God, I'm really glad someone said that to me at 45 because now I'm 51. I'm like, yeah, 45 is young. So, um, and no doubt when I'm 60, I think 51 was young. So yeah, that's how I got into it really. Um, and obviously I had had the pleasure of working with a lot of stand-ups in my life um, as a sort of from the business and production side. So I've seen quite a few of the big names go through from open mic level up to big TV names. Yeah. So I sort of did understand the process a bit. It doesn't mean I was any good at it when I did it, but I did kind of understand that you've just got to put the stage time in and there were no shortcuts and it was pretty um it was it was pretty relentless and get the, the permission slip from her i mean <laughs> yeah that's a pretty good permission slip isn't it? it's better than the one that gives you permission to miss pe because of your period um yeah. but yeah it was the other thing i hadn't really realized about her because she you know there are so many stereotypes about joan rivers and there are still jokes about her and obviously she had a lot of cosmetic surgery work and she you know she, she was sort of known for many things but it didn't really occur to me till i got time you know, with her and hadn't spent quite a bit of time with her. What a feminist she was. I was like, God, she really was one of the first sort of, well, she was certainly the first sort of woman to break through the glass ceilings of Hollywood back in the day. And I just, and, and, and just getting to know her, she had such brilliant kind of views about everything. I was like, God, I never thought of her as, you know, you think of Emily Pankhurst, but you don't think of Joan Rivers. So yeah, yeah. she was a real inspiration, woman to woman as well. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah, what is just an awesome like start into your like career, and like you say, it takes it takes one to know one, doesn't it? With uh, with women, can definitely not always toot our own horns for stuff like that, and and not take up the space. And I feel like it's definitely time to take up the space. <laughs> it definitely is, and no one will no one will make the space for us. And I think yeah. it is, um, yeah, it's really really important to also to even know. I mean, this is getting a bit existential and deep, but given that we're recording this during um, just after Boris Johnson's announcement of kind of effectively a second mini lockdown, it's really easy, regardless of our gender and our life phase, to sort of lose sight of who we even are a bit. And I think lots yeah. of people's senses of self have been quite compromised by this. And so take, taking up our space has become even harder because our physical space has been denied us. And yeah. I think that that really can impact people. Um, lots of people listening will be going through their own version of something challenging in regard to many, many different things, which might include women's health. And it's really easy at times like that to get a bit isolated at the best of times and yeah. feel really wobbly about ourselves. Yeah. So I think it is really important to take our space, but to take it from the, you know, I take my space in the world, but I feel hugely flawed and vulnerable so I'm not taking my place um, smugly. I'm taking my place as a sort of survival strategy. Yeah. So I think it's probably quite reassuring for us to see other women doing those things, but realise that we're not doing it because we've got a sort of smug story of redemption. We're doing it because we're doing our best. That's probably yeah. what, we're, what we're all doing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, Brene Brown always talks about being in the in the arena, uh, you know, getting muddy and filthy <laughs> along with everyone else because you're that. That's it. That's kind of where we all need to be really not yeah I love Brené Brown I'm always I'm always recommending Brené Brown to everybody so I'm glad yeah. you've raised her name in a in, a, in the podcast because otherwise I would have done yeah and all her work around shame is really interesting as well obviously she'll lots of people listening will know that she's gone from sort of doing a huge amount of work around the theme of vulnerability to lots of work around shame yeah. and I think that's really really relevant as well to a lot of women and and even down to the bottom sort of line of it which is for you know for many decades and centuries you know even being a woman having periods it was a point of shame yeah. um and uh, and and even though one would hope we're far beyond that now probably in some households and some certainly some parts of the world we're not yeah oh massively like i think if i had a a fiver for every email or 
um, message that started with, I'm so sorry for the too much information I'm about to say here and then explain yeah. something. And I'm like, it really doesn't matter. I worked as a nurse for 15 years. There's nothing you can say or do <laughs> that yeah. I probably haven't seen, heard or had on me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the last bit. Not everyone can claim that. But no, I know it's funny, isn't it? And you think, I think, don't know if you found it when you started out in comedy, but it's really, you sort of assume, I think lots of people when they start out, they do loads about sex and about, they do loads that they think, oh, I'm going to break taboos. And, and then you realise once you get out on the circuit, that's a real new comics thing to do that you think, talking yeah. really graphically about, you know, anal sex or, you know, about, you know, inserting a tampon or whatever, or what you did with your partner or whatever you think, you know, some really graphic sexual act that that's really like all breaking down boundaries. And actually when you, what you realise is, well, everyone's talking about that and everyone's doing that. So yeah. it, honestly, honestly who cares it's like I saw the um I don't know if you saw the new Seth Rogen uh, Rogen film uh it's on, on Netflix I think it actually isn't isn't brilliant but there's one bit he ends up dating uh I think she's the president of the US or something like that or, or she's about to be president of the US and she ends up getting blackmailed because um a bit of footage of him him tossing off to porn basically so someone had hacked his web webcam and he's yeah. her boyfriend and there he is graphically sort of tossing off to some porn and they're like we're going to release this around the world as your boyfriend unless you do whatever it is and she ends up going everyone's doing it anyone judging this at home everyone's doing that or done that so just get on board he's doing what you all do and I just think you know everyone is doing all the things that we think are our little dirty secrets so yeah, yeah we might as well get on out there with them yeah absolutely the um I can't remember what the show was called now um but there was a, a sex scene in it with uh, uh, someone taking out a tampon. That broke the internet for a little bit. I yeah. can't think what it was called now, the show. That's terrible. But um, yeah, where someone told me that, I was like, yeah, I've done that before. We've all like, done that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Of course you have. It's yeah. happened. It's not everything you see on TV has happened in real life. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it is about, but it is about, um, I mean, you do get, I think on stage, you do get people who almost, they overshare for sort of the, reasons of sort of narcissism or reasons that there can be reasons for oversharing but actually it's not oversharing when we as women are talking about our bodies and trying to take away any thought of shame or denial or secrecy I mean at the worst end of things people die because they're too scared to talk about symptoms yeah. in their body don't they and I think in that regard there can't be an overshare because once we've shared it's out in the open and, and one of the things Brene Brown says about shame is um is you know I think she has five things she says you can do to sort of help mitigate feelings of shame and one of them is is talking about it as soon as you've named it the shame dissipates a little bit so yeah yeah, yeah it does for sure and I think um also as our generate like as our generations are getting evolving certainly like yours and my generation like my my mum won't speak about the menopause I mean her mum didn't or anything like that mm. about periods none of that stuff it was I mean when I started my periods my mum was like right and just like slid across some sanitary pads and that was about it like no more was said about it uh and whereas like I'm obviously freely talking about it you talk about it and uh and you know lots more other women are so I think as as we get older I hope that the lid will be lifted on the mysteries of women's health <laughs> yeah absolutely and it's funny I remember my mum talking about it as um she still called it the change I'm and she and she, I remember her telling me when I first got my period she was so out of touch I guess I don't know I guess she must she must have not been having periods by then although that's weird because because she'd have been in her 
I don't know why she thought, but she said she, she thought you still had to have those like belts with loops on for sanitary towels. Oh, she'd have probably been using tampons. So that's why she wouldn't have yeah. known what, what, how sanitary uh, towels had progressed. So yeah. I remember her telling me I was going to have to have this belt and hooks and pads. And I'm thinking, bloody hell. And then of course, once it happened, it was like, they you just get like whatever it was. And they were reasonably sophisticated, even in the eighties when I started my periods. I'm just thinking, no, you just get like a pad and stick it on your knickers. But the way my mum was talking about it, I was like, Christ, that looks, that sounds like a sort of rope and pulley system or, or a chastity belt it didn't sound like a sanitary towel and I do remember with tampons um, I, me- I really remember being taught in school um, as in taught obviously you weren't shown but I do remember the classes where they told you how you know about tampons and I think they even did say tell you a bit that they could be a bit uncomfortable and then I remember really struggling with I remember finding it really really hard like lots of girls do to use yeah. tampons and I didn't I didn't tell anyone. I, I don't remember telling my, even my friends that I was finding it difficult. And it took me until I was, God, at least 16 or 17 to be able to use tampons. Yeah. And I found it. And, and now I hope, um, you know, like with, with my, my daughter won't listen to this, so she won't kill me for saying it. But she did talk to me about that when it was her stage of sort of finding that a bit difficult. And yeah. it, I think it sort of probably helped her to to be able to talk to her mum and know that I also had the same thing as her and that, and that there probably lots of her friends were having the same thing as her because she thought it was just her. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's always good to know that it isn't just you because it absolutely can feel like that because we don't talk about it um, enough, I think. I mean, certainly in my line of work now, I talk to my girlfriends a lot about periods. Yeah. And likewise, they tell me a lot more as well. So like, oh, you, you won't mind. Just tell me stuff or ask me questions. And it's great, like having that kind of uh, conversation going, I think it make it much more mainstream. Um, yeah, and- which of course it is. So why yeah. would it be any different to any other subject? There's a really funny um, episode of, I don't know how many Curb Your Enthusiasm fans there are listening, but um, I love Larry David and I love Curb Your Enthusiasm. And there's this one episode where a girl a girl guide comes to, or whatever they call them, Girl Scout over there, comes to the door to sell like, you know, brownies or something. And yeah. then she starts her period like, on his doorstep and he's like, oh no, go into the bathroom and it's okay. And, and my <laughs> wife has some tampons in there and you can, you can use them. And then obviously he's the other side of the door, like a man in his late fifties trying to explain to her, like she's yeah. reading out the leaflet and he's like trying to help. But, and he's like standing there outside trying to like, obviously not seeing what she's doing, but he's trying to like, she's reading stuff out and he's got his knee up and his leg up and he's like, oh, okay, well, I think you do. It's very funny and very good. So yeah, I'd recommend people have a look at that little yeah, scene. That's great. <laughs> Maybe we can find great. a link to it to put in, yeah. the, um, in the comments <laughs> on the podcast. I'll dig it out. <laughs> yeah, that would be really good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think comedy, because I don't know, it might be just my kind of, uh, viewpoint on things with having nursed for a long time but you humans and all bodily functions are quite hysterical when you think about it mm-hmm. uh, and periods that are none you know not avoided of that at all uh, I mean so I've had some well could be classed as really embarrassing moments but it depends what kind of lens you put it on because I just think well it's a I can't help it it's a bodily function and didn't mean to bleed all over the seat but it appears I have (laughs) yeah 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 you didn't make yourself do that by sheer force of will (laughs) 
Nor can you stop yourself like. by sheer force of will. That's the other key bit to know about such things. Yes, exactly. I was pondering on that the other day and I just thought, well, you know, it could be worse. You could poo the bed every month and that would be far worse than just bleeding on it. And so, indeed, some people listening probably do do that. So because yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing, isn't it? We don't realize as women, you know, I've, I've had a couple of um, kids and mine were both really big babies. They were 10 pound babies. Yeah. And, you know, you do you hear stories of women who've gone through that and episiotomies and stuff who do have we think about weeing when they run or jump but actually some people it's more than weeing and yeah. so there are lots there will be lots of people listening thinking god I've got this uh, literally what feels like a dirty secret because uh, and actually th- there'll be lots of people with with everything possible going on yeah. from yeah. blood to piss to shit so there you go let's oh, throw yeah. those all out there on you <laughs> hope, hope no one's tucking into a panini at the moment they won't be for long <laughs> <laughs> yeah nothing like that puts me off my food you think, <laughs> nothing puts me off my food I wish it was that easy <laughs> yeah me too me too um so uh, do you ever talk about any kind of like women's health or issues and things in your sets I know I touch on that some things because I've seen them <laughs> Yeah, you know, I do. So I don't, I mean, my, my, so my stage of life, given I didn't start stand up till I was 45, I was well down the perimenopausal route before I even started stand up. Um, and probably well into men, I think I'm pretty sure I was well into menopause, certainly by 46, 47. And I still am now. So, um, so I've never done period humor only because it's not been my experience. And I've had a Mirena coil for, you know, 15 years. So I've not had a period in a very long time. So it's like periods, remember them. Uh, so, uh, so no, no period stuff from me, uh, cause it's not really relevant to my experience, but yeah, pause. Um, and, um, and even now I've got, I've got some quite, I say quite good new stuff. Look at me modest, but I've got some stuff I've been road testing about, obviously the fact that our temp, you know, we have to have our um, temperatures checked in yeah. pubs and, you know, beauty salons and stuff. And obviously as someone menopausal, there's quite a bit to, um, of comedy to mine in the fact that, you know, women my age having their temperatures checked all the time. And when I was doing that, it's, it's funny. I, even now I sort of have to think where I bring it into my set. Um, and I tend not to, mention age until about halfway through if I'm doing a 20 minutes I probably won't mention my age until about halfway through and I do mention I have teenage kids um, earlier on which is an indicator I'm not you know not 30 as is probably being able to see me but um but I'm quite I am and again maybe this is part of the maybe I'm part of the problem but I do wonder if my audiences are predominantly younger than me when I do solo shows my audiences are a bit less young because they're people who actually have followed my stuff and my stories and perhaps have specifically chosen to come see me so I do get young you know I do get sort of people in their 20s and 30s coming to watch me but I'd say a lot of my audiences are 40s and 50s so that's a bit of a different one but comedy clubs where it's usually as you know loads of 20 somethings and 30 somethings they're usually the majority certainly in London clubs I'm always very mindful of the fact that if I go on and the first stuff I say is really unrelatable, you know, if I come on and they're like, Oh God, you're my mum's age. I'm not ashamed that I am their mum's age, but I kind of want to pick a moment when I've really convinced them that I'm relatable and funny. So with this new sort of um, menopause stuff I'm doing, which is COVID meets menopause. And that's a very difficult (laughs) Venn diagram. um, I'm, I'm just being really careful about where I put that into my set and how I say it and, and what I bring in. But I've got, um, I've got my my new bit features vaginal dryness, among other things you'll be delighted to hear. (laughs) So I'm throwing vaginal dryness into, uh, into the comedy arena. And I'm sure that may have been done before, but it's not been done in my uh, knowledge or orbit. So um, yeah, so I do talk about, 
about stuff um, on on stage uh, that that's to do with this. And you know, as you know, comedy is it's most effective when it's stuff that really matters to us and that we're actually living through. So. Um, I don't want to be defined by my age or life phase, but it's certainly very relevant to my thinking and my life experience. And that's, you know, as you said, you saw my show Invisible and that was all about, that was the year I turned 50 and I was buggered if I was going to be invisible. So that was directly inspired by my, by my date of birth. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like I say, I think that uh, my mum, she's in her seventies now and I, she said this to me the other day. She's like, I just think I'm invisible. And I was like, has it just dawned on you now? Yeah, good <laughs> for her. 70 and you're just thinking that. That's great. <laughs> Maybe she got in a muddle and she meant invincible. She was being a badass. <laughs> <laughs> She's highly likely, highly likely. But uh, yeah, there's, a, it, there's definitely, well, the can of worms was opened, I think, um, through media and things like that about age, ageism, especially for women. and. Uh, I think again, as the generations are growing, we're not just not taking that <laughs> because it's irrelevant, really. Your age, you know, it's it's not anything to be marked by particularly. It's just where you're at. I think nobody wants to be underestimated. That when I was thinking about invisible, and I thought, what do I want to say, and how is it going to be relatable to people who aren't the same age as me? And that's what it ultimately came down to. Was I don't think anyone wants to be stereotyped based on age gender, ethnicity. I don't think any of us want people to assume anything about us because we're all different. And it's tempting for whatever generation you are, you know, it's tempting for for me to look at, you know, um, millennials or Gen Zs and go, oh, well, they're like this, you know, millennials are all like this. And I'm sure that must be really bloody irritating because of course, all millennials and all Gen Zs are not the same as each other any more than I would want someone that age to look at me and go, oh, well, you know, your generation X. So this, but a friend of mine said something quite interesting on, I went for a run with a friend on Sunday. Um, I run a lot. I don't like to boast about it, uh, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I went for, I say run, we went quite slowly and then we ate a lot of donuts when we got back home. But um, during the bit where we were pretending to run, uh, she, uh, we were talking about her kids who are a bit younger than mine, but they're all teenagers. And she said, the thing we have to remember is that we've been their age, but they've never been our age. Yeah. And I thought that's a really interesting way to sort of put it. So, but it's, it's, um, I don't think it's young people who underestimate people uh, my age. I think it's people, some, it's older, it's people who are older than yeah. young people. I think, I think the, new, the younger generations are pretty good at yeah. suspending assumptions. And I think that's one of the great things about, um, yeah, about people sort of coming through after us. But um, there are plenty of bits of the world who make assumptions. So, yeah, what it comes down to, to me, is not just about, well, as a 51-year-old woman, I don't want to be invisible. It's I also don't want to be underestimated. And yeah. why should anyone be? So that's probably my bigger sort of ethos behind it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which all comes back down to the taking up of space and things as well, doesn't it? It yeah. all ties in with that, um, which is, yeah, it's really, really important to do it. And I, I think... Um, and people can be like, you can have younger people who are appear older and older people that can be younger. You know, I, I used to live next door. We used to have a, an older lady that lived next door. She was like my surrogate grand, my parents. And she, I mean, she seemed like she was 90 forever. You know, yeah. she was that old kind of lady, but she was so young at heart. You never knew what was going to come out of her mouth. And it was generally pretty inappropriate. <laughs> uh, and it was great. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, my, my grandmother was a big inspiration to me. She was still going. She died in her late, all my grandparents died in their late, uh, late 90s. And 
she uh, was the last one standing uh, or sitting by then, but she died in her late seven and late nineties, but she was a massive role model to me right through my life. And she was, um, she was born in 1910, but she had a brilliance, everything she did throughout her life. I didn't realize it as a child, but I was like, God, she just kept, she, she just would not be um, underestimated at yeah. all. I remember when she was very ill, she'd had um, emphysema and some real problems and she'd been in intensive care and she was finally allowed out. And this was in her early nineties. She still lived in a, in a house on her own, wouldn't yeah. go into a home. She did end up sadly in a home. But I remember saying to the doctor, look, could you talk to my grandma? Because I know when she gets home, she's just going to be like hiking up onto the roof. If a tile needs fixing, she'll be climbing up trees to get ivy off them. And he said, the very worst thing I can do is tell your grandmother to stop doing that. Because if that's how she's lived her life, the, yeah. lo- the worst thing I can do is tell her now she's too old to do it. And he was completely right. I mean, she did end up the next uh, day uh, driving her car. And so she's parking outside Oxfam where she still worked as a volunteer. And she managed to sort of reverse and go forwards into about into the two cars either side of her about 20 times. And then she had a note put on her windscreen saying she had to go to court. And she totally denied it and they had all the footage of her doing it. And she didn't mean she wasn't trying to be a felon. I just couldn't drive very well. So she did end up having to stop driving. But I do think, um, again, she was an example of, of I'd love to think that in my 90s, I would be doing that stuff. And the thought that one of my kids or grandkids might say, you know, granny, don't go and, you know, climb up onto the shed and fix something. I think it would be so depressing. So yeah, let's, let's all, let's all keep breaking boundaries forever. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. My, we, um, it was grand's, uh, my Mark's grand's funeral on Monday. uh, And. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. She was 97. She, it was nothing Corona related, but she just uh, was fine one minute and had a heart attack and, and checked out. And I think that's, that's the best way to go, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really, it really is. And 97, not a bad innings, as no. I say, but doesn't yeah. take away the loss of her. Yeah. Yeah. But she had the capacity to be so inappropriate at the best times. Uh, we were at a wedding and she, there was a woman singing Ave Maria as Mark's cousin's wedding singing Ave Maria it was all beautiful and then granny just said really loudly to Mark well of course I nearly couldn't have any more children after I had your father because he broke my womb (laughs) (laughs) did you think oh what's the Latin for that so we can add it put it to some uh, put it to some good music you know when you're like broken with laughter and I just this woman singing I've got tears streaming down my face and I think in a minute I'm just gonna let out a noise it was the sweetest pain. I don't mind being in pain for laughter. Uh, but yes, yeah, you used to do that thing all the time. And I'm like, that's it. That's, that's, the, that's just brilliant. Now there'll be people Googling, can a man break a woman's womb? So, and as a nurse, you can probably advise whether that is indeed physiologically possible, is it? Yeah, I don't think so. Not in terms with birth, but maybe people who uh, interfere with it could probably have a bit of a devastating effect on that. So leave your wombs alone. That's what yeah, we need to... Absolutely. <laughs> don't learn from either. Mark's granny. <laughs> Oh, so um, what was your kind of like education? We touched on it slightly uh, with um, at school and things like, because it's still very hit and miss, I think, for people uh, through the education. I mean, they are 
adding in about the menopause now, which seems ludicrous that it isn't, but it's not actually added into medical training either. So. Yeah, I know. And actually, because um, it's, it's um, as I'm sure you know, a World Menopause Day, uh, I think it's the 18th of October and Menopause Month, the whole of October. Yeah. And um, obviously, depending when people are listening to this, that will or will not be a topical reference. But um, I, yeah, I, I want to write a piece in, uh, you know, you mentioned that I write for, you know, the FT and the Guardian on occasion, and I'm, I'm going to come up with a piece which I hope will get commissioned that looks at the impact that menopause has um, actually on, on the economy and on business because yeah. if men went through this uh, then th- we would have sat up and taken notice many many decades ago not least because we'd have been losing some top um, executive talent and it would have had an impact on profitability of companies so even if you don't take a, a more holistic um, and pastoral approach to the menopause it, it undoubted I mean there's there's no way that me leaving the corporate treadmill at 47 as I did was not heavily to do with the menopause. And I now get booked as a, as a speaker and after dinner speaker. And I talk about reinvention and courage and vulnerability and upsizing when you recreate yourself. So my story could look like a really fabulously inspiring kind of, you know, call to action, but actually it was caused by the fact that I couldn't cope in a board level job at that point in my life. You know, I had some, some serious, kind of mental health problems at that point serious to really pretty extreme depression about as extreme as it could have been and needed some sort of properly intensive help with that and I I in all of my conversations I had with my then employer who by the way were, were brilliant you know in terms of helping me in every way they could but I never mentioned menopause so I had all those conversations about mental health and stress and anxiety and my inability to cope but I never mentioned menopause and I did know that it was connected so so I think in terms of sort of basic education sex education education about periods it wasn't great in my generation I was at a boarding school when I was up until I was 13 so I went through most of that in boarding school but at least then I was with other girls sort of 24 7 so there were older girls and you sort of learn what you needed from them as much as official stuff but it is one of my bugbears um, that menopause isn't talked about. And it's a bloody awful word. It's a very unappe- it's an unappealing word. You know, at least yeah. menstruation is an unappealing word, but at least we could have periods as another option. Yeah. Menopause is just, yeah, it's got, it's a really bad brand. You know, we, we, yeah. we, we, the thing itself is really, really interesting and worth talking about, but it's got a bloody awful name. Yeah. And I've, I've just done a big load of um, pitches out ahead of World Menopause Day. I've pitched out to loads and loads of magazine shows on telly, radio shows, you know, as a contributor. Um, and whenever I pitch as a contributor on any other topics like autism, you know, my son's um, autistic and I, I, I speak a lot around um, key days around autism and people immediately get back to me. And with menopause, half the time people don't even bring reply to the email. <laughs> I'm like, are we that, is it that, are we really persona non grata because why is that not relevant? Or people going, oh no, I don't think that would work for our audience. Yeah. It's like, well, have you not got any women listening to you or partners of women or kids of women you know I I expect it's relevant to almost every listener there's probably someone in their orbit so yeah I think we've got a really long way to go um before we strike the right tone of talking about this stuff and before and you know some companies you know channel four notably went sort of um on on records god it's quite a while ago now probably a couple of years ago about menopause policy staff um, and, and what they were doing to support menopausal staff and they also I know are making big inroads into trying to look at um, getting uh, female talent on screen of that age group uh, so but yeah it's, it's still 
it is a bit of an uphill struggle. And then people sort of typecast you. Is that, are you banging on about the menopause again? It's like, well, among loads of other things, yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I have a microphone and I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> exactly. It's nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah. And people do. And also, it's a bit like um, female comedians often say, don't they, that if they mention sex, if they do 30 seconds about sex in yeah. a 20 minute set, everyone will be like, why do you just go on about sex? What if you, whereas a bloke could do 10 minutes about sex and nobody goes, why do you talk about sex? And yeah. similarly, my, my material on menopause is always the minority amount of my set. I don't have a whole 20 minutes on menopause, yeah. but people will often remember that they're asked brilliantly. You talked about menopause or, Oh God, you know, why did you bang on about the menopause? But actually it's like, well, I did 20 minutes. So I did two minutes on that. So 10% of my set was, that so why is that what matters to you um you know in a, in a negative way yeah. yeah it's interesting isn't it those kind of stereotypes run very deep uh in terms of what people perceive women to talk about on stage uh, yeah i mean i go on stage with a pair of trousers that have got fannies all over them so it's uh, <laughs> it's a given why do you save them for on stage i would hope that you would go everywhere with <laughs> well those. i do <laughs> good especially in, i mean you could have them on right now no one would know you could have nothing on your bottom half no one would know given it's on zoom i do think the um but no it, you you may remember um did you see you saw the show invisible actually in edinburgh didn't you when it was finished and done or was it a preview yeah you it saw was, the final one yeah yeah it was final one it was the funny because by so by then i'll have had the bit in where i got some as you'll remember i got richard osmond to explain the menopause so i sort of said you know no one wants to hear a woman on stage banging on about the menopause so i've got you know i've asked a friend to to you know to help me do it and then yeah and then of you know so obviously it was a parody of a mansplainer uh, yeah. telling us all we need to know about the menopause but um yeah and actually I did that obviously because it was meant to be ironic, uh, but it was also was a was a way to bring the menopause very overtly into a show in a way that was funny and light and acknowledge some of the disparities in how we see things. But I did need to think about a way to bring it into the show that wasn't kind of like right now. Here's the science bit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and it still baffles me how boys are removed from the whole sort of period talk within schools and things they're not included um I mean Mark's had an absolute baptism of fire with living with me with you know with having endo my periods are fairly all over the shop well they used yeah. to be um so they weren't ever something you could keep secret even if you wanted to put it that yeah. way but yeah, yeah. um yeah it just I think well, it's somewhat, you're going to live with a, a female somewhere along the lines, aren't you? Be it your mum, your sister, uh, you know, friends, girlfriends. Well, however, you're, you're going to just meet women who will have periods. So yeah. why you don't know about it? is ridiculous <laughs> yeah Everyone i mean think about the number <laughs> and the number of years that women are having periods you know and, and as we know even well into menopause women are still having periods so yeah it is a somewhat unignorable thing and it really shouldn't just be a, a woman's issue you know i mean if i look at it from a business perspective well um, there was there was a thing I'm sure you saw in the press recently about how many GPs, female GPs, leave their careers um, due to menopause. I think it was a huge percent. Like yeah. I'm, I won't quote it because I'll get it wrong. I, I, my memory is it was something like 60 something percent, but I may well be wrong. But either way, if we're losing top talent in any field um, because of menopause, that is everybody's issue because that company or that sector has then lost some of its key talent. And And the times we lose key female talent um everybody knows that that happens when uh, women have children i'm not saying it's in any way acceptable it does but we do know that is a conversation to have and companies do try 
with varying degrees of success to mitigate against that. But the other two times are menopause and when women then become often the carers of older people um, around them. So women are still the carers. So there are three points when businesses and sectors lose key female talent. Mm. And that really should be all of our responsibilities to do something about because the point of diversity is you keep the maximum range of people involved in steering any given ship um yeah. that's the point of it it's not a tick box so yeah it does does kind of exasperate me when people still see it as a kind of woman's issue because it's it's society's issue it's yeah. not women's issue yeah totally totally um you're expecting hope- me to be much more hilarious i'm all like well here's my soapbox <laughs> i've got upon it and i'm going to talk from it so uh yeah anyone listening about it, she doesn't sound like a comedian she sounds very <laughs> earnest <laughs> <laughs> oh no it's it's but it's it, it yeah I'm on my soapbox a lot and then you're like oh I'll I'll just step off it for a little bit <laughs> exactly give everyone a bit of a tea break <laughs> yeah um so lastly Callie my question is uh if you have any funny slash embarrassing stories about periods or hormones from your lifetime um that you're willing to share <laughs> yeah well I'm willing to share anything but yes a couple one up yeah the, I think um HRT has been an interesting one for me uh I've been on HRT now for about eight years so since I was 43 um yeah. I had quite, I had um yeah I had a couple of medical things that led to me sort of having pretty strong menopausal symptoms at a younger age than they say you should although since then I know so many women who not long after 40 are going through proper full-on I think perimenopause is hugely underestimated as something that can be quite debilitating for women and I hope again that will get more talked about but um, so I've been on HRT for a long time and I get my progesterone via um, Mirena coil and then I have an estrogen patch on my bum uh, or estrogen gel for special occasions (laughs) aka when you want to well they're always like if you want to wear something scanty on the beach I'm like no I don't because I'm 51 (laughs) and I I'm quite happy in my tankini but what they basically mean is if you want to have sex without a patch the size of a crisp bag on your ass so I do have gel as well that I use um, but I mainly use these patches and um, I, I did used to do a bit of material about this but there was um, when I was sort of out I've, I've been as I said a single mum most of my kids life so I've gone out I've obviously been out dating lots of those years uh, so I haven't had a sort of a steady husband partner I've, I've had been a sort of serial monogamist across a range of partners and I do remember there was this when hipster beards were all the thing probably going back best part of eight years and everyone had a hipster beard and I um, had a bit of a fling with this younger bloke and he was really he was a real sort of lumbersexual looking a really sexy sort of young hip guy and there was one time when my patch got caught in his beard and they're massively adhesive because obviously they're for the modern woman who runs marathons and, you know, does hot yoga. And I could see it on his beard and I thought, I just don't know how. And I, and I tried to sort of stroke his beard and caress his beard and try and get this thing out without him and in the end, I just have to say, uh, and, and I, I said, they're like nicotine patches. And instead of, you know, stopping you smoking, they stop you going mental. Uh, so there was that, uh, which wasn't great. And then I also, um, again, I don't know, I'm sure listeners will know, you might have had experience of this, but because of, I, I heard that it was because of Brexit, that all the licensing for the different um the different HRT products and lots of other medicines all changed because of Brexit. So suddenly things you could get 
yeah. were out of supply. So there was a massive thing about HRT and no one could get their HRT. There were huge problems for like, it was about 18 months, I'm sure you know. And it wasn't much talked about. And it's kind of like, well, you wouldn't just take a diabetic off their insulin or a, you know, a, a, someone who's depressed off their antidepressants and yeah. go, oh, well, we'll try and help you out. So during that period, I had real problems getting, that's ironic, during that non-period, I had, um, I had real problems getting my HRT. And there were these little patches that I've always had that are tiny. They're like the size of two postage stamps. That's what normally my HRT patches were like. And as you'll know, they get bigger depending on the dosage of estrogen you need. But even quite a high dose, they were quite small. And then finally, I went to my pharmacist. I'd go in and out about every three weeks going, have you got any yet? And they'd be like, not yet. Finally, they gave me this box and said, yeah, we've got some. And they gave me this box. It was the size of a bloody Kleenex box. I was like, bloody hell, how many are in there? And these patches instead of a delicate thing the size of two postage stamps it was like a walker's what's it pack to put on your ass and it even made a crisp packet noise so I did so yeah and luckily I've now got um you know a steady partner of of some standing so it's not at all embarrassing with him because I know him well but he um yeah he was yeah so we we now um he's now pleasantly surprised if we go to bed and I don't have a crisp packet affixed to my ass so yeah mainly my stories are about HRT patches so there you go (laughs) great stories (laughs) I think I don't know I don't think they can make anything quiet that you know sanitary towels and stuff aren't quiet when you wear them they sound like crisp packets rattling around in your pants as well (laughs) do you remember it was really short-lived and it probably was in the early 90s do you remember when they bought when they they, um femidoms were a thing so like condoms but femidoms and for anyone listening who didn't ever i mean i think most people haven't had the experience of them but they literally so it was like a sort of condom that you put inside yourself so it Uh, did the same thing as a as a condom but it was like a massive grey, it was a cross between a parachute and a crisp packet. And it was massive. And you did need to put it on light with a condom. It wasn't like a Dutch cap where you could put it in long before you had sex. You actually had to put it in as you would a condom like at the at the moment you needed it. And I did, I once tried one with a partner and it was, <laughs> well, we did have a, it was a very bonding close moment because we absolutely pissed ourselves. We'd gone away for the weekend. We were in a little bed and breakfast. We'd gone for a dirty weekend and we just could not get we couldn't get beyond it having it happen. We couldn't, we definitely couldn't have sex. And I don't think we probably had sex all weekend because it was just so, <laughs> it was so off-putting. So they were so noisy. I remember we were in this bed and breakfast and our bedroom was next to the garage of the people whose bed and breakfast place it was. And we could hear the bloke in the garage next to our room, like tinkering with the car engine. In, and I remember thinking he must, well, he probably just thought we had a bumper pack of, a bumper pack of quavers and was wondering what was so funny. So <laughs> things are noisy, aren't they? well they you know that's it's not been unheard of that people have used crisp packets as condoms oh in really different times well you wouldn't Hot want salt and vinegar time. that could be very painful yeah and i think it could be a bit chafy all round. but um it doesn't surprise me that they maybe they modeled it on that and the noise i don't know if people don't take that into account yeah. um, that yeah they're like I know what we need here Steve we need a nice crisp pack noise <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah I think everything from feel to ergonomics to noise hadn't been thought about and you're probably right it probably was someone called Steve or certainly no offense to any Steve's listening I wonder how many women they had on the team designing the femidom yeah. but uh, yeah that was very short-lived uh, I think possibly well under a year that before that disappeared yeah. off the market yeah yeah it wasn't great it wasn't great at all <laughs> it was a nice idea but yeah. very poorly executed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh callie on that note 
Oh, it's been absolutely wonderful to chat with you and thank you for sharing um, all your wisdoms with us and uh, all your links to uh, articles and um, snippets and stuff that you shared. I will put in the show notes for listeners to have a look. Amazing. Uh, and we'll put that um, Curb Your Enthusiasm clip on there as well because I think that'd be excellent. Yeah, it's very funny. It's very good. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time um, and being on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure my pleasure thanks for having me along thanks for tuning in if you loved it feel free to leave a comment and give us a follow you can find more information on my website thewellwomanproject.com or come find me on the grid on insta or on my facebook page you can also drop me an email gemma at thewellwomanproject.com any information we've shared today will be in the show notes thanks again for listening big love gem <laughs>